Hey everybody and welcome to Rock Video Rental. I am Brandon and with me as always is Caleb and we are continuing on with John Hughes Month Part 2. Uh, we're going to be talking about Pretty in Pink today but before we get to all that, Caleb, what have you been watching? Oh, uh, sometimes I feel like you shouldn't even ask. <laughs> Nothing. Yeah, I think college football, which we're not going to talk about on here. Um, the only other thing family on guy. in the background has been Family Guy. So nothing really new to share there. I do mention the highlights if there's any of the really good episodes I come across. But now I'm in later, the later season. So those good episodes are a lot more few and far between. Yeah. So I get it. Uh, I also have been watching Family Guy. Rock. I believe I'm in season three now. It's been a little while since I watched. Mm. Um, I think it was getting a little Family Guy overload, so I kind of been working in other shows too. I started rewatching a show that I haven't watched since like the early 2000s, and it's a show that's kind of forgotten about, and that's the Drew Carey show. Okay, I am about a third of the way into season two, and I forgot how funny that show is. I never really watched it, so... I, oh, really? Yeah. Just the interactions between Drew Carey and Mimi are just so funny. Like, all the pranks they pull on each other and, like, the insults back and forth and how quick it's just rapid fire just cracks me up. But uh, other than those two, man, not a whole heck of a lot for me either. Um, Football, but again, we don't really talk about that on here. <laughs> we don't talk about uh, that. I watched another Molly Ringwald movie with Robert Downey Jr. called The Pickup Artist. That was a weird movie. That sounds weird. I do not believe it is a John Hughes movie. It's just a like an it was like a late 80s teen movie where uh, Robert Downey Jr. plays this he plays a pickup artist where he goes around and he's like trying to pick up girls in New York. And he comes across Molly Ringwald and they like hook up and he ends up like kind of falling for her, but she's got like a really troubled past and she's got like this sketchy dad who's a drunk, uh, pretty similar to this movie, I guess, but a little darker. Um, but her dad's played by Dennis Hopper, which is interesting. Oh, huh. but yeah. And there's a lot of, Oh, Hey, it's that guy in this movie. And the tone is so weird and like kind of all over the place. And it kind of started off good because I mean, Robert Downey Jr. has got that likability and charisma. But it just, the way the movie flowed was so awkward. Hmm. Like the ending was seemed kind of forced. And I don't know, I w probably wouldn't recommend it to a lot of people. But I mean, if you like those two actors and check it out. Wow. But really, other than that, that's pretty much it for me uh, but i did watch another molly ringwald movie where she has a sketchy alcoholic dad <laughs> and that's pretty in pink <laughs> um kind of some funny stuff weird stuff with this movie um there was a major reshoot after a, an audience testing um and there's also a part in this movie that molly ringwald really did not like uh, if you want to know what those are, stick around to the end of the episode and hear about it. But without further ado, let's start talking about Pretty in Pink.
Pretty in Pink. It is from 1986 and is directed by Howard Deutsch. Deutsch bag. Okay. Uh, the plot for this one. Um, this plot kind of sucks. I read it right before we started recording. Um, a poor girl must choose between the affections of dating her childhood sweetheart or a rich but sensitive playboy. In what world is Ducky her childhood sweetheart? Yeah, I was just going to say that. <laughs> Like her childhood friend, yeah. Uh, but sweetheart, no, he was in. I mean, unless there was a backstory that they didn't really tell us about. Well, he's a he's a complete and total simp. <laughs> like he freaking worships the ground she walks on, and she sees him as a friend. Mm-hmm. And she's yeah. pretty clear about it. Oh yeah, numerous times, but he's oblivious to it. Mm-hmm. Um cast we got molly ringwald as um uh, andy john crier as ducky harry dean stanton as jack annie potts as iona james spader as steph andrew mccarthy as blaine and andrew dice clay as the bouncer they bow bow i had to <laughs> I had to throw him in there because it always like catches me off guard that andrew dice clay is in this movie yeah um, and he also just plays the dice man, <laughs> <laughs> which is just his his character that he made for stand up. Nice. Um, I feel like this movie has a a different feeling to it than a lot of John Hughes movies. I don't know. It's it's got that John Hughes flair, but it's kind of hard to explain. Well, it's much more serious, I think, than all the other ones. Like, even, uh, man, I'm trying to think of some of the more serious ones. Like, Breakfast Club was comedic and, you know, had a sense of uh, youthfulness to it, like uh, goofiness. Uh, This one, you kind of had it a little bit with Ducky, but in all reality, it was still very serious and more real than man i'm trying to think of any of his other movies that i've watched that would have compared to this yeah i would say it's more serious and grown up i guess uh i would say breakfast club is the probably the best one to compare it to because it does have some similar like tonal things with it Mm-hmm. But yeah, it doesn't it doesn't come close to like the goofy humor of uh weird science or something like that. Yeah. Well, or sixteen I mean, candles or something, you know. Yeah, but in um Breakfast Club, you know, they got high and they goofed off and they did other stuff. And there was some goofing around in this one, but it was the major undertone was just seriousness it was it was a drama it was more of a drama than anything um the other ones could be considered comedies and things like that but i don't think anyone would label this as a comedy right yeah that's a good way to put it um Um, so again first time watch for you yeah Uh, i've seen this one a handful of times this isn't one i've like frequent that often um I think just because it it does take itself so seriously compared to um, a lot of John Hughes movies. 
But uh, I mean, I always enjoy Molly Ringwald. I I thought she was pretty good in this one as well. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe not like her strongest um, performance, and even her character too. Like her character kind of irritates me in this movie, I guess, because she's always like so woe is me and quick to judge and jumps to conclusions and stuff a lot. Well, I I felt like they captured the personality of high school kids pretty well, though. Like, very impressionable, very quick to react, and uh, high emotions and things like that. Yeah, that so, was one thing that John Hughes always excelled at, was kind of naturally uh, portraying teenage drama and personalities Mm -hmm. so for that i mean i think that she along with uh most of the other characters captured that rather well where it was just kind of like maybe they look like character flaws but i think it's more so like you know just how kids would be in high school more than anything right um you know who i thought the best character was in this movie Hmm. iona Okay. Um, Annie Potts' character. Yeah. I don't know. She's just so funny. And um, she's, well, she's a very kind of strange character because when you first meet her, she's got like crazy spiked up hair and she owns the record store. So she's kind of just like an offbeat personality. She's like one of those that you might think she's strange, but like once you get the door, then you realize like how genuine and good hearted of a person she is. Mm-hmm. And I think it's funny how her personality kind of changes when she starts dating that guy and she dresses up normal. And <laughs> Yeah, she grows up a little bit. Yeah, it just kind of cracks me up like her character arc in this movie. Yeah, she was kind of a a uh, sub story that was looking for her own direction and everything. And it kind of would have been interesting if it was a little bit more of a, a focal point, a little bit more of a draw, but yeah, everything was about Andy, which I mean, rightfully so considering the setup for this movie. Yeah, I think, um, Probably the most memorable character in this movie is it's obviously Ducky. Yeah. Um, that's he's a character that was even spoofed in uh not another teen movie. Mm-hmm. As the 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 hopeless friend who has a one sided love affair with his best female friend. And he's just goofy and kinda offbeat and quirky style and stuff like that and you know i thought john crier did a really good job playing him i just find the character kind of annoying oh yeah for sure um you know but even though that he's he's annoying to be like i you know respect that he did such a good job Mm -hmm. i mean that that's another one too where he was totally a um acting the part of a high school kid there were there were several kids that i could think of in high school that I feel would have totally matched up with that personality. Yeah. Um, well, there's several weirdos in college that we 
and classes <laughs> with. <laughs> yeah, in, in, in the art program, that would definitely be a ducky. Mm-hmm. Now, um, I, I. Part of it I was thinking about through the movie where I was just like, man, Ducky is annoying. Um, he definitely played his role, but I was thinking, you know, is Ducky is Ducky not so much the character, but his uh, abrasive personality necessary in this movie? I don't know if I would say it was necessary, but it did. It, it had an impact, and I think it helped it because, honestly, if you had a more... Um, serious or standard character in his place this would be a it would have been a much more serious tone to the movie yeah he was kind of like the comic relief at times Mm -hmm. and i I think the interactions between him and iona were pretty funny too oh yeah and how um andy goes on her date and you know ducky's kind of just feeling sorry for himself and licking his wounds and she is like sitting at the table listening to all the stuff he has to say and it's so funny that what she explains later when Andy's like telling Iona about her date and she's like when uh, he kisses you does like does he have strong lips she's like what are you talking about she's like well I don't want to talk too much because he is young he's like but when the duck man kissed me it's like I kind of got weak a little bit in my knees. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that whole interaction was pretty funny. <laughs> uh, and you know, Ducky's back and forth with Andrew Dice Clay it was kind of funny too. Where it's just like <laughs> he's like, We're friends, right? He's like, Yeah, I'd say so. And um he's like, I come here quite a bit. He's like, and how many times have you let me in? It's like never. <laughs> <laughs> he's like the bouncer for the club he's <laughs> uh, like well if, if you're so, if she's so uh, in love with you and she knows that you can't get in he's like then why does she keep coming here Ducky <laughs> <laughs> well then he eventually got in though yeah because Annie Potts brought him in or you know, Iona <laughs> oh yeah that's right club. she she explained how she got him in that's right it's like how did you get in it's like, I I told him he was my son. <laughs> <laughs> so kind of on to the main story plot of the movie, there was something that I realized after the movie was done and after I was typing in my notes and everything um, that I didn't write down because it was, I can't remember. It was like right before I fell asleep or right when I woke up. I thought it was really kind of interesting because I didn't really know and understand exactly what was going on in this movie for a while yeah. Um, because I didn't realize the dynamic of the have and the have nots. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't really get that it was an intermixed school that they were trying to create that dynamic of the rich and the poor. And I thought that was kind of weird. And I thought it was a weak element at first. I was kind of like, I don't, because I don't know. I mean, I'm probably over exaggerating a little bit, but I felt like it was like halfway through the movie where it's just like, oh, okay, like this is a big deal because he's rich and she's poor and so on and so forth. It wasn't. It wasn't halfway through the movie, but it took a while to get there to create that dynamic. But then I also kind of realized, and I don't know if you recognize this or you would know more, but maybe they were setting it up earlier on in the movie and I just didn't catch it because 
it maybe it was things such as style and whatnot that they were trying to create the difference between the rich and the poor. And I didn't really pay close enough attention to it. Like, oh, the rich kids all wore blazers and the poor kids, you know, looked scruffy or whatever. I wasn't paying attention to it. So yeah, I think it's kind of harder to see now because the styles are so wacky because it's the, you know, mid to late 80s. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little harder to figure out then. Um, but yeah, there are times in this movie too where you kind of get lost in the amount of time going by. It's kind of hazy because, you know, she goes on the date with um, Angie McCarthy's character. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Blaine. But yeah, Blaine. That's not yeah. a name. It's a major appliance. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and like they're having a good time and everything. And she's all excited because she met this guy and she likes him. And like, oh, but he's, he's rich and I'm not. And, and then like he just stops talking to her. And then like she loathes him pretty much. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, then they're like good again, and then they're off again because it doesn't have a date to prom, and it's just I guess they didn't really play that up too much, where it's more like James Spader is his character is just a jerk. I mean, James Spader's always a jerk and everything. Because <laughs> he's so good at it. Robert California. <laughs> That's what I so I thought it was like I like to think that. The character Steph is just another one of Robert California's personas. Yeah. Because remember in the office, like Robert California wasn't even his real name. Oh, yeah. Because he, or... he says on the phone, he, I can't remember who he's talking to. Is he talking to like Dwight or Jim or something? And he, or maybe it was Andy. And he's like, it's like, you don't even know my real name. He's like, he's like, I'm the Lizard King. Yes. I think uh, it was Andy. Yeah. He just like, he just kind of like a chameleon. He just changes to any um, situation that he's in. And I'm like, I like to think that Steph is just another one of his early personas. Well, I, I kind of thought of it as the idea that Steph turned into Robert California, but yeah, who <laughs> we talked about in the office is one of the most underrated characters in the office. Oh yeah. But... No, I, um, it, it was interesting um, the whole dynamic. And I, and I think it worked well. It was, I mean, it's high school. It, it's interesting because it's high school drama, but kind of on a more amplified level with the whole rich versus poor thing. Um, you, I, I, man, when, when did it really click? I think it was when she was having her date with him and Ducky freaked out. Yeah. Because he was rich. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, okay. So this this is what it's really about. This is really about, you know, the rich kids against the poor kids. And, you know, the, you don't cross the line. You don't date each other and things like that. And then I started kind of recognizing, I think, because I think it was before it maybe, or I'm not sure. But, you know, different things like where uh, the character Blaine went out outside the school building and hung out with Andy and all the kids were looking at him weird because it was a rich kid outside hanging out with the poor kids. 
yeah and, and steph's like what are you doing out there he's like when my best friend's out there talking to a mutant i would like to know what's going on yeah so a lot of a lot of different things that you might not pick up on well again like first time watch i wasn't really knowing what to look for but mm. then once i realized like okay this is the main element of the movie like you know it's it made me think obviously of like romeo and juliet you don't have these two families mixed together yeah um, and speaking of that though probably the i feel like the most messed up thing and the most stupid thing that happened in the movie was when blaine took andy to the party yeah and she's so out of place and like everybody's just giving her crap yeah the whole whole date is strange (laughs) yes like i feel like if like blaine winds up being an all right guy and you know they get together at the end and everything i feel like if he was really that good of a guy that he would have recognized before they went upstairs where it's just like, eh, this, this is not a good idea. We should go. Well, and the fact too, that they walk in and like step and that blonde girl fooling around and then they sit down and talk to him. <laughs> yeah. No, no, really strange. Nobody does that. Nobody does yeah. That. And that girl's just a straight up bitch to Andy and like play just kind of sits there. <laughs> yeah. Well, he, he said things a couple times, yeah. but not, not, I mean, like, okay, that's enough. We're going to leave because you're being a, you're being a total bitch lady. <laughs> yeah. I can't remember the girl's name, but. I can't rem- remember her name either. Just call her Blanche. <laughs> uh, <laughs> an, an interesting thing that I had down about Blaine, though, is, um, I was a little surprised that they went with a character, uh, well, an actor like Andrew McCarthy. Yeah. Um, and didn't really have a problem with, but just kind of interesting because let's do a comparison because look at then the main, um, attractive male character from 16 candles. Yeah. Like he Jake was Ryan. Yeah. He was like a model. And he was the rich, attractive guy. In this mm. one, they have a rich, eh, I mean, not, nothing against <laughs> him, but goofy, kind of dweeby-looking guy. Yeah, I, I said I can't really buy Andrew McCarthy as, like, the leading heartthrob guy. Yeah, it, it, exactly, like the leading heartthrob. Now, I will say this, though. Um, I think it made it a little bit more believable. Again, nothing at all against Molly Ringwald. Uh, her character Andy, like she is attractive and everything, but if we're making a story about like a rich kid dating a poor girl, usually they go for I don't know, let's just say it like the really hot ones. Yeah, and that's not exactly what you would think with the way that they portrayed Andy's character. So mm-hmm. the fact that they were kind of doing that as kind of more of a normal girl next door look, I think that fit a lot better with Andrew McCarthy playing the character of Blaine rather than, you know, if it was Jake Ryan type. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, 
Yeah, it just I, I have a hard time seeing Andrew McCarthy as anybody but Larry from Weekend at Bernie's. And I, I know. know Weekend at Bernie's came out a few years after this, but that's mm-hmm. re- literally all I can see. He, just like the goofy sidekick guy. Yeah. And, and I also and... wonder like why are um Steph and Blaine friends? Because they're rich. It's pretty much it. They just are in the same circle because they really don't have anything in common. Where Steph's just like this arrogant doucher and Blaine's more of like a down to earth normal kind of guy, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I like how I like how Steph's shirt is like always unbuttoned in every single scene. <laughs> <laughs> just makes him seem slazier. And the fact that he's played by James Spader doesn't help that either. Oh, yeah. No, not at all. Uh, oh, so we talked about their first date being weird. How about when he's, like, hitting on her and they do, like, this weird chat thing on a computer? Oh, yeah. So you could easily recut that into, like, a thriller. Like a... um, A horror kind of... Yeah, kind of. Stockish. Like a, yeah, something. They used to call them like yuppie nightmare or yuppies in peril movies. Okay. <laughs> Where you know I'm thinking movies like um, Hand That Rocks the Cradle and Fatal Attraction and um, Single White Female and stuff like that. I don't know if you've seen any of those movies. No, I haven't. Where it's like these, um, like these yuppies, these. Uh, types like Patrick Bateman okay. from American Psycho, but yeah, yeah, not yeah. crazy. But and then they run into someone who's not quite as they seem, and uh, they get themselves in trouble and have to try to find their way out, kind of thing. They're they're more like psychological thrillers, I guess. But you, could, I feel like you could totally rework that scene of him and her doing like the original. AOL Instant Messenger or something. <laughs> oh, I don't even know that. That was like that was super weird. And it I looked ha- like someone just typing out a word processor, and then it like they're having a conversation somehow because it's not even like an instant messenger. Like their messages go away. It's the only mm-hmm. thing that shows up on the screen. And it gets really creepy where it's just like, "Who am I?" or something like that. And he sends a picture of her. I'm like, where did you get this picture? And how did you digitize it to a? like an ancient DOS computer. Right. I was just going to say, I was just like, I find it very difficult to believe that the, those computers would have been able to produce images like that. Yeah. It's just, that didn't age well. <laughs> it always makes me laugh. And it's so weird when he just kind of stands up and smiles at her with that goofy looking smile. Hi. <laughs> hey. Oh, hi, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Tommy Wiseau would have made this movie and have him as Blaine. <laughs> he could like, why is this guy? Why is this guy forty five years old? <laughs> he could have been Steph. <laughs> no, Mark would have been Steph because you know everything that Tommy does is good. <laughs> He's a, your normal, typical all American boy. But I'm so fed up with this world. We're not going to prom. <laughs> You betray me. <laughs> uh, also, she's idiots like from the get go, it seems like she's very skeptical of him. 
and she's kind of a straight up bitch to him at times. To Blaine? Yeah, before he really does anything like wrong. And in the grand scope of things, he really doesn't do too much wrong. He just kind of takes a step back with her. Well, because yes. it's like his it's got like these two worlds kind of like colliding, and he takes a step back and he like I guess he ignores her phone calls and doesn't call her back or anything. But I don't know. I don't remember her exactly being super rude to him. Um, it was more so uh well, cause because I, I thought the first things were mostly them interacting at the record store and they were flirting back and forth. But it was the him stepping back, as you phrased it, was a lot bigger of a deal because it was like they even talked or she even talked to him about about the difference between uh, rich and poor and everything. And, you know, if they do this, mm-hmm. you know, that it was a super serious thing and she she wanted to be serious about it. And so basically he wasn't stepping back from an aspect of like, I don't think this is going to work like you don't like me or I don't like you he was basically backing out from the aspect of like, I care more about being rich and hanging out with my rich friends and my reputation than I do uh, with being with you. Yeah. Which that's a bigger slap in the face. Right. So, cause people break up all the time for being like, uh, you know, like it just didn't work out, blah, blah, blah whatever so it's not you it's me (laughs) (laughs) oh gosh oh the record store there's a lot of for the little bit that they're there there's a fair amount of impactful scenes uh you mentioned how they like flirt with each other then there's also the weird scenes with ducky where he has like this weird convulsive dance to an mm-hmm. Otis Redding song. Yeah. And it's just really awkward, like where Andy and Iona are just kind of like staring at him, like, what the hell's going on? Um Yeah, I had down in my notes several times, like Ducky's just weird. Yeah, he's just a little too much. I have in my notes too. It's like I think that we've all been somewhat of a ducky at some point in our lives. Oh, sure. Where we're in love with someone who doesn't share the same feelings. And I said, but damn, I don't think I was ever that annoying <laughs> and weird. I was like, at least I hope I wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> oh. oh, speaking of Ducky, probably one of my favorite things about him and um, to mention a favorite quote from the movie, I probably don't have anything else, but when he gets shoved into the girl's bathroom and he's like, hanging out there and the girls are like weirded out by him and everything. And then he's like, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. You guys have doors on the stalls. You guys have sinks. You guys have a candy machine. (laughs) And he like smacks the tampon machine. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's so funny. I thought that was great. And then I, I wondered too, like, is Ducky like secretly gay? I don't know where he's like, just, I don't know, like overcompensating or something. Uh, he was kind of flamboyant. I'll, I'll definitely kind of like agree with that aspect, but I don't think they were going for that. Like 
there was the girl at the dance that he apparently probably like danced with or had something more with, but also who's credited as Duckett. <laughs> that's hilarious. Um, when he talked to Andy's dad about wanting to marry Andy, like, yeah, that was all a little strange too. Uh, it's, that... He's like, does she know that you feel this way? And he's like, Oh no, not really. I, I thought it was great that her dad, knew him well enough to be like okay dude sure like you go ahead and want to marry my daughter but she has to say yes first yeah you let me know when she's on board and we'll have this conversation again yeah her dad's played by harry dean stanton who always plays like a good down on his luck drunk guy yeah Uh, i mean he kind of plays a similar character in hoosiers Mm -hmm. which which is a great movie by the way Wait a minute. Hold on. No, no. What? That, that wasn't him in Hoosiers. Yeah, it was. No, wasn't it? No, that was Dennis Hopper. What the heck am I? There talking we go. About? There we go. Yeah, dude. Hoosier, Hoosiers is like one of the earliest movies I ever saw, like <laughs> for an uh, after kids movies, and so. Uh, that's pretty well ingrained in my mind. I was like, that's not the same guy. Yeah. Now that you say that, but similar character. Yeah, it's very similar. I can um, definitely yeah, see he that. Always, yeah, I would say that um, Harry Dean Stanton, though, did play a lot of down-on-their-luck drunk guys. Mm-hmm, for sure. Um, guys who are genuinely good people just made bad decisions, I guess. Mm, yeah, I there was one part earlier in the movie where I was just like, oh, you know, her dad's just like a, a, a good guy. And then he, it comes out later about how he lied about having a job. And I was like, dang it, man, come on. <laughs> You're dropping the ball. You're making me look bad. Um, and then another thing I had that I thought was a strong point in this movie is the soundtrack was good again. But that's kind of goes through all of um, John Hughes's movies. I will say this. It wasn't bad. I wouldn't say it was good. This is out of all the John Hughes movies, the least best. Yeah. Uh, I would say, uh, I don't know if some of it was just like the volume, like they were just playing the music too loud, like, you know, in between scenes or something, but it was really loud. There was actually one that was kind of funny because I almost thought it was because there, there's a lot more, um, I don't know, just riff music in between scenes instead of actual, you know, songs from the time period. Yeah. And one of them I seriously thought was copied by Stranger Things. It sounded really similar. I don't know if you, if that kind of rings a bell for you, but there was one of them in there where I actually like stopped for a second. I was like, that sounds so much like something that was in Stranger Things. Like a synth wave song or something. Yeah, there was like a little synth wave thing in between scenes. I think it was like when school was starting one of the days or something like that. And right. uh yeah. If I knew where it was, I'd totally point it out to you. But I would say the most echoic song of the movie would be um If You Leave by Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark. Okay. Uh which is the song that plays at the prom when Andy like sees Ducky and they walk in together. Mm. Um, that's probably the probably the most known song from the movie. 
that could be really like tied into this. Also, Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark is such a stupid name for a band. <laughs> yeah, usually they go by OMD, I think. But yeah. And also I noticed this is one of the few John Hughes movies that doesn't take place in or near Chicago. I was wondering about where it was supposed to be taking place. I didn't catch that. I got the feeling that it was more of a California movie. That's what I thought, too. Yeah. So. We both agree. Uh, So we talked about the scene where Iona kind of like grows up a little bit and she like dresses a little more normal and she's going out with like this yuppie guy. Mm hmm. And I think it's funny, too, where she's, like, talking to her, talking to Andy about her date. And she's like, so how did everything go? It's like, what happened? She's like, um, not really much of anything. She's like, well, not nothing. I kissed him. And she's like, anywhere interesting? (laughs) 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 That that exchange and everything was so funny. And um, that's when she, like, gets her old prom dress and turns it into like the ugliest dress of all time it looks like a sack of potatoes wait what it's kind of like when when andy makes that dress from iona's prom dress yeah yeah you hate the final dress yeah she gets like that dress and then the dress her dad gave her she mixes them together and the thing is like so weird fitting on andy and it just it kind of just hangs on her like a sack of potatoes (laughs) Uh, yeah. I mean, it's not one of those where you look at it and it's like, whoa. But, yeah, uh, I, I see what you're saying now. I had to pull up an image again. To... Well, I just think, too, you, like, you see all the other girls at the prom and the way the way their dresses are. And uh, it just it's obvious that it's something she made where I'm like, are we supposed to be like impressed that she made this? Like, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know the styles back then too well. Yeah, I was gonna say it's also the mid to late '80s, so maybe in the mid to late '80s that was a a fashion trend there, a trendsetter. It, the one thing that you can definitely give it is that it was unique, and so she made it so that she stood out. But now, kind of talking about that though, the prom and everything. You were talking about the song that they walked in and everything, all that. Um, I. I find it hard to believe, and I understand the context of the scene and all that, but I find it difficult to believe that all of a sudden, in this short period amount of time, that Ducky was willing to let Andy go. Like, yeah. he, he he wasn't even willing. He was, like, telling her to go. Yeah, and all of a sudden, Andy and Blaine love each other, and they had, like, one date. And they had two. They had they had they had they had the, the horrible date of going to the party and then they had the uh date in the what was that like the horse barn or something? Oh yeah. Yeah. So they they had Still. two. They had two. No. Uh, yeah, and then it's like Ducky's completely and utterly obsessed with her, and all of a sudden they're just like he's like, Oh, he came by himself, you know. And it's like Ducky realizes like, oh maybe he's not the worst guy. Because he kind of sees the interaction between Blaine and Steph, where like Mm -hmm. Blaine puts Steph in his place, and then Ducky gets in that weird 
tussle with Blaine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, that was the interesting thing too about this movie where I was just like, at at this point I had no idea where it was going to go. Like when Blaine talked to her and walked away, Mm -hmm. I was just like, I have no clue what is going to happen. Like, is she going to stay with Ducky? Is she going to go after Blaine? And so when Ducky turned to her and exactly like you said, was just like, Hey, Blaine showed up here by himself. Like he, you know, that shows you how he really is. And, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's just like, mm, I don't, I don't know. It just, it seemed unusual. Like this whole time, Ducky's been so obsessed and he's finally gotten what he wants. Mm -hmm. And then he's just, okay to let it like he's actually practically pushing her away yeah so then she goes with blaine and then ducky's kind of standing there and he looks over and there's this really good looking girl looking at him and waves and like calls him over and then he does a ferris bueller and looks at the camera and raises an eyebrow yeah (laughs) like it's so weird like it's been kind of established that ducky's just kind of annoying nobody really likes him he's like a tryhard and then all of a sudden, this random girl comes out of nowhere and loves him. I feel like mm-hmm. it's very shoehorned in. Yeah, I I would agree. So it it it's interesting because this movie, like I've known about this movie forever, um, because you know this and Sixteen Candles and Breakfast Club, you know, all very popular movies from this time, all mm-hmm. talked about a lot. This one is just not resonating with me as much. Like, I think it's still like a really good movie and a very interesting, you know, plot and all that. But the the ending and that whole prom interaction, it just, ah, I don't know. It's kind of a, abrasive, unusual. Like, it just, it did not hit as nearly as well as so many other John Hughes movies. Yeah, it didn't flow as smooth. Um, maybe not as refined as other John Hughes movies. Um, and I guess I got a little bit in facts and trivia why the ending might seem a little bit weird, but I'll, I'll get to that when we get to it. Uh, the last thing of my notes that I noticed and it made me laugh just because, um, I think I'm still like a 13 year old boy, but in the credits, there was a guy named Dick Hancock. <laughs> Seriously, that's funny. Yeah, I don't know why that stood out to me this time. I like I was working while watching this, and I kind of like glanced up during the credits. And that was the first name I saw, and I just started laughing. I'm like, God, I'm such a child. Yeah, no, I did not pay attention to the credits, so I missed that. <laughs> and then I just felt bad for that guy that his parents would name him Richard Hancock, and he'd go by Dick. <laughs> oh man. Uh, anything else to talk about before um, I get to the trivia and facts? No, I think uh, we're ready to move on. Rock. Uh, so this movie was filmed at the same Los Angeles high school where Grease was made. Um, James Spader was offered the role of Blaine, but he chose to take the role of Step instead because he finds it more fun to play the villain. And that is obvious because he's so good at it. No kidding. So the genesis of this project emerged when Molly Ringwald asked John Hughes to write a movie based on the psychedelic first song, Pretty in Pink, 
which was her favorite song at the time. Hmm. Uh, the filmmakers wanted Blaine to be a hunky, square-jawed style like Jock, but Molly Ringwald wasn't attracted to that sort of guy. Uh, Ringwald had some say in the casting, and after Andrew McCarthy auditioned, she told John Hughes and the director, uh, Howard Deutsch, uh, her thoughts on him. She said, that's the kind of guy that I would fall in love with. And they thought he was more of like a twerpy guy and weren't interested, but Ringwald pushed for the casting. So the ending that we see in the movie was actually a reshoot. Um, the original ending, Andy ended up with Ducky. Um, when this was shown, the test audience, they responded to it so negatively that they um, switched it around and that's we ended up with the ending that we have now. Um which is kind of interesting to think about. Yeah, that the original route was to go with Ducky. <laughs> yeah. Um. So when the ending was actually reshot, all of the principal cast members had to be called back. Andrew McCarthy had already lost a substantial amount of weight and shaved his head for the new role in a New York City play called The Boys of Winter. Um. Although he wore an auburn wig, it is notice he is noticeably more gaunt in the reshot scenes. Hmm. Which I noticed he was a little scrawny this time around. Uh, so the CD talked about when Ducky gets thrown in the girls' bathroom. And he says regarding the tampon machine and we don't have candy machines in the boys' room. Um, that was totally just ad-libbed by John Cryer. Nice. Uh, so this movie is dedicated to Alexa uh, Kennan and Bruce Weintraub. Uh I think it's Kenan or Keenan who played Jenna, who was um, Andy's friend who stuck up for her in the, the gym class. But she actually oh. died in New York City just before the movie was released. Oh, man. Yeah. Um, the set decorator and production designer was Weintraub. Uh, he was actually an Oscar nominated for um, The Natural. Uh, he died of AIDS at 33 in the last movie on which he worked on was um this like right before his death hmm. so this is molly ringwald's favorite movie um of her own films and she um said that we are all that all the movies were like her babies and it'd be impossible to choose one over the other. If I had to choose one of the best, it would be Breakfast Club, Club because the strip was a, the script was the strongest. Um, and then she said other points that she enjoyed Pretty the Pretty in Pink the most because it was the most fun acting out of the um, the prom experience, which she never really got to do in high school. Hmm. So according to John Cryer, he did so many takes of Ducky's dance scene that he tore through the shoes that he was wearing. Um, and both pairs of the shoes that were brought in were from a vintage store and they're actually too small for him. Oh, ouch. Yeah. In spite of their chemistry on screen, um, John Cryer has dated that both of his co-stars, Molly Ringwald and Andrew McCarthy found him really irritating <laughs> from day one. Uh, Cryer who describes himself as a very outgoing person, believes his attitude was the reason he never got along with the very reserved Ringwall and McCarthy. Hmm. 
Uh, so the Rave Ups are actually the band playing at the club scene, which, if you remember, is one of Molly Ringwald's favorite bands. And she actually had the name of the band written on her um, journal in 16 Candles. Rock. Uh, so when James Spader auditioned for Howard Deutsch and John Hughes, he completely immersed himself in the jerky character of Steph, which we talked about he wanted from the get-go. Um, he smoked a cigarette in the room, and then he crushed the cigarette on his way out. Hughes and Deutsch almost didn't cast him until they realized how much he embodied the role. After Spader got the part, John Cryer complimented Spader's um, prior works. And he said, I figure I got... Spader said the Cryer's like, I figure I got a lock on this teenage asshole thing. <laughs> uh, which is funny. Uh, so Molly Ringwald actually hated the dress from the end of the movie. The pink prom dress. Oh, well, there you go. Sack of potatoes. <laughs> Anthony Michael Hall turned down the role of Ducky um, because he didn't want to be typecasted. Uh, he also felt that the film was just kind of a rehashing of 16 Candles. Mm. Which, I don't know. It's, I mean, it's got some similarities to it. Yeah, but it's more serious, so. So this is Christy Swanson's um, film debut. She was recommended by John Hughes for the non-speaking role of Duckette, who only appears in the reshot ending. Um, Hughes had liked her when he see her play a small role in um, Ferris Bueller, which was released later in 86. Hmm. Uh, so James Spader's shirt is unbuttoned in every single scene he appears in. So I was right. <laughs> Um, so Tatum O'Neill Lori Laughlin, Diane Lane Sarah Jessica Parker Brooke Shields and Jennifer Beals were each considered for the role of Andy which I'm not sure how much they were considered because John Hughes obviously really liked Molly Ringwald and and she was the one that came up with the idea of writing a script called Pretty in Pink Yeah, so I'm not sure how true that one is (laughs) They probably had to have a list just in case. Yeah. And the last thing I got is this movie had a $9 million budget and it made $40 million in the box office. Rock. So, grades. Uh, IMDb, Rotten Tomatoes, what are they? Uh, IMDb, um, 6.8. It's a 6.7. You were very close. Uh, Rotten Tomato Critic, 75%. 74. All right. Uh, Rotten Tomato Audience, 89. 81. Oh, dang it. I'm I'm looking at the ratings for the other John Hughes movies that we've done, and so I'm kind of using that to get an idea. (laughs) And so I'm I'm getting a little closer. Yeah. Um, I don't remember who went first last time. I can go. I think you may have, so I'll go. Um, so more serious of a movie, uh, so far for John Hughes Month. Uh good movie has that dynamic kind of as I compared before about almost like a Roman and Juliet thing, you know, you don't mix families, you don't mix poor with rich people. Um well told story. Uh I like the drama. It was it was kind of 
it wasn't as smooth as some of his other movies, especially us talking about kind of the end there and everything happening with Ducky. It, it, it almost felt like it got hijacked a little bit at the end because mm. it went against everything they had done for character development up until then, primarily around Ducky. Like Ducky finally got what he wanted and they just were just like, Oh, it doesn't really matter. Um, so still a good movie. I think there were areas for improvement. Uh, there, there are some things that I'm not, I guess you would say grading as harshly as others, because I think it might've been something with the, the times kind of how I explained where it's just like, you didn't even really know that there was a rich, poor dynamic until, you know, a th- maybe a third or a third into the movie perhaps. Yeah. Um, but maybe if I was in that age, watched it when it came out, I would have had a better idea about that, but there are just different little things like that. But really, I mean, I do still have issue with the ending other small parts, not as strong as the other movies. I wound up landing at a four out of five for this one. Okay. I would say that's fair. That's funny. Cause I had some of the same feelings about this. Um, I understand. And I think the performances all around are pretty solid. Like I said, the soundtrack is still kind of, you know, it's it's a John Hughes soundtrack with some songs that ended up being bigger hits in the eighties because of the movie it's in. Uh, if you leave by OMD, like I mentioned, uh, became a big hit. Um, it's got some memorable characters, like you know, I said Ducky, and it's still funny seeing Andrew Dice Clay in this movie just because his style of humor that would go on in like the early nineties is way different than what this movie's trying to do and a lot less wholesome. Um, and I think that was more of him like trying to find his niche in comedy and evolving the dice man character because he doesn't even go, Oh, or anything in this, <laughs> which is kind of what he was known for. Uh, he is smoking a cigarette. I'll say that because the dice man was always smoking, but, um, I end up giving this a, a four and a half out of five because I do feel like there are some things that maybe didn't age as well. Not so much as like being offensive, but like you said, being able to see the more nuanced things they were going for uh, and showing the differences between like the different classes of the, the richies and the, the poorer people. Mm hmm. And those are a little harder to see now just with the change in fashion and uh, what was considered high class and lower class. Yeah. Um, man, I don't know. I don't know if I've ever seen a John Hughes movie that I didn't think was at least good. But I haven't seen very many of his 90s movies. And when we saw Dutch, which I believe is one of his lower rated ones. And I still kind of enjoy the movie. It's just a rip off of planes, trains and automobiles, basically. Yeah. I would agree. Uh, so next week we're going to be talking about another movie. That's a little similar to this. And I, I don't know if subconsciously when I picked the, um, 
where these movies were going to fall in place in the schedule. If I had picked them to flow so well, <laughs> I feel like uh, I did a pretty decent job this month of planning those out. Um, because now that I take a step back and look at it, I'm like, oh, these are all kind of like connected to each other, and it's a a nice easy flow. No, because we started off with weird science, and it's like, okay, that's one of his more wacky ones, and then it gets into Sixteen Candles, which was his first directorial movie, but has a similar tone to Weird Science, but it's also kind of bridging the gap between this movie and Weird Science. Mm -hmm. It also had Anthony Michael Hall and Molly Ringwald, and then, um, you know, this one just had Molly Ringwald. Yeah, but the next one's going to be Some Kind of Wonderful, which shares some things with this, um, with classism and uh, someone yearning for someone who's considered, like, untouchable, unreachable. But, uh, yeah, we'll talk about more of that next week. Um, it also has the original Marty McFly in it, so if you've never seen a movie with Eric Stoltz in it, Mm-hmm. You're gonna. <laughs> but if you guys are liking this month, um, we mentioned a couple times in the previous weeks, but go back uh, two years ago in November, and we covered some more John Hughes movies. Um, a kind of a interesting mix in that month as well. And the aforementioned Dutch that I just talked about probably about five minutes ago now. But uh, if you guys are liking the show, please like, subscribe, and share. Uh, we are pretty much on every social media platform. Check us out. Just search for Rock Video Rental and you'll find us. Um, leave a review and we'll mention it on the show. And yeah, come back next week. We'll be talking about some kind of wonderful. But until then, as always, be kind and rewind.